If you want your on-air content full of spice If you like your daily news much more precise If you much prefer announcers on the ball Then you'd best tune in to Marcus Paul If you hate what MSM has now become Rupert Murdoch and his dirty rotten son If you're sick of mainstream doing bugger all Marcus Paul should be your part of call Marcus Paul is a sleuth, always looking for truth He wants accountability He will bring you the news and some great interviews Just listen to the prawn, you'll see If you need affairs as current as they come If you're sick of Rupert Murdoch and his son If you much prefer someone who does a troll Marcus Paul is always on the ball He's sure to expose anybody on the nose He's holding politicians to account He is real and legit and he has the finest wit His honesty is paramount If you want to listen to the prawn on air He's online with Starter Rep and find him there Marcus Paul will bring you all the latest news And he always does great interviews You can listen to him when you choose Marcus back on air is such fantastic news. Well, good morning. Welcome to Tuesday. Uh, where are we? March 15 already. Gee, in five days' time, millions of us will see an increase to our welfare payments. If you're a job seeker, if you're a pensioner, if you're a single parent, you will see, uh, receive an increase, the highest, we're told, since, well, 2013. I'll run through the details of that story for you soon. Meantime, uh, Australia continues to mourn the loss of Shane Warne. There's been some announcements in relation to his very public memorial. Not only will it be held at the MCG, but the SCG will also pay homage to Warney on the same night. I'll give you some details on that now. With the cost of fuel skyrocketing north of $2, even for the cheap juice, motorists looking to avoid the increase in fuel prices by taking Uber rides, well, you're going to be forced to pay a petrol surcharge. And what is the government doing about perhaps knocking off some of the excise they charge, that is the tax they charge us, on fuel, upwards of 50 cents a litre? Well, there might be a little bit of a reprieve in the budget, uh, which is expected to be handed down later this month. We'll see what happens. Uh, It hasn't been ruled in, hasn't been ruled out by the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. Speaking of ScoMo, his office, what were they thinking with that new logo relating to women? Dear, oh, dearie me, looks like a... Well, the dick and balls, I'm sorry uh, to be so blunt about it. I put a post up yesterday that was shared and um, and many uh, across the country were poking fun at it. It certainly, in my mind, doesn't portray Australian women. Have you seen it yet? No? Make sure you get on our Facebook page and have a look, Marcus Paul, in the morning. Uh, now, mental health safe havens... And trauma programs will be rolled out across New South Wales's flood epicentres. That's a response from the New South Wales government, a mental health response given the, well, the horrific floods that have seen many homeless and many lose their businesses over the last month. Speaking of floods, mould is making us sick. We need to be very, very careful to avoid a a build-up of mould in our homes, but it's not just growing in our homes, apparently. It's growing in a Sydney school, and there have been numerous complaints to the state government about it. I'll give you that story a little later. Now, uh, the cost of living. Not only will we talk about petrol prices today again, but what about Sydney's housing crisis? Some of the figures that I'll give you are incredible. There's been a 30% drop in the number of people who are buying their own homes in Sydney. Well, is it any wonder? Uh, The great Australian dream of brick and mortar in Australia's largest city in particular is now well and truly out of reach for younger Australians. You may care to comment on that uh, on the Facebook page of The Prawncast a little later. 
All right, well, there's plenty on the way on the program this morning. Some great music as well. You can always be a part of it by sending me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Good morning to you. If you're listening to us via the, the website, maybe on your favourite app, whether it's iHeartRadio or TuneIn Radio, it is nice to have your company. Oh, by the way, we're going to start our association today, just after 8 o'clock, Australian Eastern Standard Time, with Sir Khan. Sokar, great independent journalist who writes some pretty interesting stuff for True Crime Weekly. And uh, we're, we're starting a bit of collaboration with them. And I can't wait to hear some interesting stories that Sokar is publishing this morning after our chat. I'm really looking forward to it, including uh, some details on something about the former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian. That's on the way. All right, Marcus Paul in the morning. Some great music for you. I hope you're having a wonderful day so far. Let's get into it. Nice to have your company. Okay, well, I don't want to start Tuesday's show off on, uh, you know, a sour note or a, <laughs> a bum note, so to speak. But we're told we're buying into a boulevard of broken dreams. That is, the great Australian dream of home ownership is at risk of dying out. Key workers that drive our city, police officers, teachers, nurses, fireys, can no longer afford to buy a house in Sydney. And those that can face long commutes because they cannot afford to buy where they work. Many say it's very disheartening that a potential future, something that young Australians have fantasised for a very long time, might not come to fruition because they're not going to be in a position to buy anything. Registered nurses working at major hospitals in Sydney are still living at home with their parents and they say it's seemingly impossible of buying their own home. And it's led to many considering moving the hell out of Sydney. It's going to get to the point where many will have to move out of Sydney. First year police constable Melissa Bentley is set to trade a 15-minute commute to her current Western Sydney police station for an hour and a half drive from the Central Coast, where her and a partner are considering buying a house and land package after being locked out of Sydney's housing market. I've talked about this a lot with Labor's housing uh, uh, shadow minister, Rose Jackson. $1.2 to $1.4 million, the average house price in Sydney. And if you, the further west you go, areas near Penrith, Campbelltown, Camden, you're still looking upwards of between seven to $900,000 to buy a house and land package with very little land, mind you. You know, 600 square metres if you're lucky. How are you coping? I'd love to hear from you. Leave your comments on the Facebook post. Leave your comments. If you want to send me an email, you can do that as well. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au It is a worry. And it's not only housing affordability, but it's also renting affordability. Speaking of homes, we're told we need to be a little careful because mould is on the rise, considering how much rain we've recently had. Mould growing inside a Sydney school as well is making students feel sick and dizzy. Students at the Manly Selective Campus of the Northern Beaches Secondary College say authorities have ignored their pleas to remove the black fungus in the girls' bathrooms. I'm looking at some images here that were in the press yesterday. They sh clearly show mould growing on walls, ceilings and floors at the campus which is in North Curl Curl. It's apparently been making the girls feel dizzy and sick. And when it was brought to the attention of the school's administration, the concerns were brushed off. 
A spokesperson for the Department of Education said they were aware of the problem, but said the mould was caused by recent rains. The spokesperson told the Daily Telegraph regular cleaning is being undertaken by contracted cleaners to rectify mould issues, and where required areas are cordoned off until they have been cleaned. You know you can put yourself together a little DIY mould removal uh, solution, water and vinegar. Works a treat, water and vinegar. Anyway, Google it. I don't have the exact details here, but water and vinegar, we've used it even recently, and it works. Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM. Nice to have your company on this Tuesday morning. If you want to send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. And, of course, don't forget you can comment too on any of the stories we bring to you on our Facebook page. All right, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have your company on this Tuesday. Just back to that story on housing affordability. Sydney, in particular, the housing crisis by the numbers. And this was published yesterday in the press. 67% is the number of Australians owning their own home since the 1960s. 64% is the number of 30 to 34-year-olds who owned their own home in 1971. Now that has dropped significantly. 50% is the number of 30 to 34-year-olds who owned their own home in 2016. 50% is also the number of 25 to 29-year-olds who owned their own home in 1971. 37%. This is what's really concerning, the number of 25 to 29-year-olds who owned their own home in 2016. So we've dropped, effectively, by more than 30% in less than 30 years. 25% is the drop in New South Wales housing approvals in just January this year. 31% is the drop in units built last year in 2021. But 22% is the average increase in house prices in Sydney last year. Now, the average greenfield lot size in 2021 is down from nearly... 500 square metres in 2011 to 362 square metres. Now, the average greenfield lot price in 2021 is $544,000. That's before you put a a property on the land. And that is up from $295,000 in 2011. Absolutely crazy. How are you coping? If you're a young person, have you given up on buying close to the city? Whether it's Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, wherever. Make sure you let me know in the comments of the podcast. Okay, Marcus Paul in the morning. Mental health safe havens and trauma programs will be rolled out across the flood epicentres in New South Wales as the Premier Dominic Perrottet faces renewed heat over his government's handling of the crisis. Now, Mr Perrottet was forced to defend himself after, over the weekend, the press revealed the State Emergency Service twice refused help from the Australian Defence Force in managing the floods in northern New South Wales. We spoke about this yesterday on the program. Now, Dominic Perrottet accepted mistakes could have been made and more needs to be done as he announced the $25 million mental health package. He said, yesterday, I want an honest review in terms of what has happened. How could the response have been better? I would prefer to have as many troops on the ground as quickly as possible, but I don't want this to turn into the New South Wales government at war with the Commonwealth. Now, Mr Perrottet backed SES Commissioner Carleen York and said the floods went above and beyond the predictions from the Bureau of Meteorology and decisions on resources were made accordingly. He said, and I quote, there is no doubt that this event was not predicated. They have to make the assessments based on the evidence and information that's in front of them, he said. Commissioner York defended her decision to refuse the ADF support and not call in private helicopters on standby for natural disasters. 
Look, in the aftermath of the floods that have been deadly, psychologists are being rushed into devastated Northern Rivers areas, while $5 million has been set aside for charities to deliver mental health programs. Now, the Premier Dominic Perrottet said the support would be targeted based off on-the-ground feedback from community groups, as we mentioned yesterday. That's, well, that's good news because nobody knows their local communities better, well, than local community groups. The elderly, youth and Aboriginal communities will be a key focus for support and mental health organisations Headspace and Lifeline will get $3.5 million over three years to identify community needs. Another $3.5 million will be spent over three years to appoint 10 local recovery coordinators to respond to increases in suicidal ideation, self-harm and mental health hospital admissions. And also, four pop-up safe havens will be set up in the worst-hit areas where people can access support without a referral. Yeah, uh, well, that's good news. Look, if anything that I've mentioned here is a little triggering, don't forget, the wonderful folk at Lifeline do a brilliant job. Get in touch with them. If you've been affected by the the recent devastating floods, they're there for you 24-7. 13 11 14 is their number. Marcus Paul in the morning. <laughs> I, I don't mean to laugh. Welcome back. But uh, I've just had another little look at this Women's Network logo that's been designed by Prime Minister Scott Morrison's own Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. They made a, uh, a logo for their quote-unquote Women's Network it looks like a, well, a willy and balls. <laughs> and didn't it cause a stir yesterday? It really did. Uh, so many people commenting online about how maybe inappropriate it was. Some say, like Laura Evans, I thought this was satire. Uh, Sarah says, yes, penetrating women's issues. <laughs> Oh, dear, oh, dearie me. Aaron hits the nail on the head. Seriously, the amount they stuff up. You go off Facebook for a few hours and you'll miss an episode of the worst government in history. Oh, and Tom says, be careful who you upset. You just got out of trouble. Uh, Well, Tom, it's not just me having a crack at this, mate. Uh, Plenty uh, of women in particular. I saw Van Batten. Uh, have a crack at it yesterday. Holy God, Scott Morrison's own Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet has made the logo for its women's network. A cock and balls. Yeah. Anyway, uh, have you seen it? Simon says, maybe it's a tampon and string. I can just hear Scotty from marketing saying, trust me, I was a big wig in marketing. This logo will really speak to women. Dear oh dearie me. It does look silly. But can you imagine how much money they would have spent on putting it together? Probably a lot. All right, well, uh, did you watch Anthony Albanese the other night on 60 Minutes? I made a comment on social media that I thought he, uh, well, he held himself very well, considering, you know, uh, who who was quote-unquote interviewing him. Um, I mean, it's pretty poxy having Karl Stefanovic I mean, he's not the most renowned journalist in the world. But anyway, I thought Albo came out of it okay. Uh, It was a good PR exercise for him. He certainly did, in my opinion anyway, looked prime ministerial. We got to see uh, the personal side of Anthony, his partner. Uh, And I think he got a couple of free swings at ScoMo as well, which may have, uh, well, may have appeared to a wider audience In any case, Anthony Albanese and Scott Morrison are now neck and neck in preferred Prime Minister stakes. So Albo, by playing a, I guess, a small target, having that approach leading up to the election, which he believes will be on, what, May 14 or something, uh, he believes that uh, that's the right way to go. Just continually let the government self-implode. 
Anyway, if you saw it, uh, and many people left their comments on the Facebook page in relation to the to that, if you if you haven't already done so, uh, just go to the link there on the page. And I thought he was very prime ministerial, to be honest. Absolutely. What did you make of it, though? Let me know your thoughts. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au on this Tuesday morning. Nice to have you company. He failed with the flies and he failed with the plague. In public he would always come across as rather vague. He couldn't run a country even if to save his life. Like Forrest Gump, he's lucky to have Jenny as his wife. Jenny says that life is like a chox of barklets. I mean a box of chocolates. Welcome back. Nice to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, millions of Australians are set to benefit from a rise in welfare payments. I'll get to the detail of those story, that story for you very soon. Right now, though, if, um, if you're a fan of cruising, look, I, I've been on one um, up in the Sundays. It was nice. I've actually been on two when I was much younger and the old man lived over there in Fiji. Uh, We went on a cruise around the Fiji Islands, but I was too young to really fully enjoy it. Anyway, cruises are expected to reopen in Australia on April 17 before ramping up to overseas travel. The New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet said cruises were waiting for biosecurity issues to be resolved before they get the green light to operate here in Australia. He said yesterday what the industry has informed us as well is that it'll probably start domestically and then ramp up into internationally after that. But you can't just turn the tap on. He says he thinks that date was worked on in conjunction with the industry. They need time to ramp up and sell tickets. Look, the industry has been, as we know, in in dire need of a lifeline after being stopped two years ago at the onsets of the pandemic. And we all remember what happened with the Ruby Princess. And it's been very different, hasn't it? It, For those that live in the harbour city of Sydney, it's been very different not seeing the cruise liners docked at either Circular Quay or White Bay over summer because it's usually a, uh, well, a regular fixture. We see them all the time over summer, in Sydney anyway, and certainly in Brisbane and other areas, cruising up around the, the islands of the Whitsundays as well. Anyway, Dominic Perrottet said it made no sense that two years on the cruise industry was still waiting to restart while international travel was in full swing. Well, he's right. And he added, we have a situation right now where people can fly overseas and jump on a cruise and then come home but can't go cruising from our own country. All right, well, maybe it is time to get these cruise liners back in circulation as we all get on with it and live with COVID-19, even though there is a, uh, a new variant out that I spoke to you about yesterday. All right, uh, what about this bloke? Up in a place called Terranora, which is gorgeous, up on the Tweed Coast, just south of the Goldie. A man allegedly caught driving a ride-on lawnmower while nearly five times over the limit will now front court. Police spotted the bloke driving a motorised ride-on lawnmower at Terranora on Saturday night, just before 8 o'clock. When he was stopped, he allegedly returned a positive result on a roadside breath test. 0.243. Wow, that that is nearly five times the legal limit. 0.250 would be five times. And he blew that at the Tweed Heads police station. He was charged, of course, with high-range drink driving, driving without an interlock device and driving an unregistered type of vehicle on the road. Well, what sort of a moron is he? Not only pissed, but thinking he can get away with riding a, a law, you know, a ride-on lawnmower um, in a public... I mean, Terranoras, you wouldn't suggest it's out in the sticks, is it? No. Plenty of people around him, particularly being intoxicated, as he allegedly was, well, that would make it extremely dangerous for other road users, including pedestrians. And by the way, an investigation is underway after a man was hit and killed by a dual-cab four-wheel drive in Sydney's inner west. Sadly, this happened on Sunday afternoon. The pedestrian was struck at around 3 o'clock at the intersection of Frederick and John Streets in Ashfield. 
Look, paramedics treated the bloke who was yet to be identified as of last night, but sadly he died at the scene. The driver of the vehicle involved in the crash was a 48-year-old woman who escaped uninjured, and as always, as usual, she undertook mandatory testing after being taken nearby Canterbury Hospital. Dear oh dearie me, please take it nice and easy on our roads. Welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning on a Tuesday. Last week I spoke to you about Pauline Hanson, the One Nation Senator, who was trying to put together some, well, a bill to take to the Senate to try and get the government to cut some of the excise tax on fuel, considering uh, <laughs> we're paying more than uh, we we have for quite some time. I mean, depending on where you get it, I noticed it for under two bucks today out on Elizabeth Drive at Kemp's Creek. That's for the real cheap stuff, but I mean, it's as scarce as hen's teeth. Finding unleaded fuel now for under two dollars, and if you get the the good juice, which a lot of new cars and uh, well, other, some cars certainly should be run on, you're paying in excess of $2.25 and even higher. Crazy stuff. So, will Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, and uh, Josh Frydenberg, the Federal Treasurer, will they consider a cut in the excise of our fuel? Well, they haven't ruled it out, but they haven't given a definitive answer yet either. There may be some relief, we're told, perhaps in the budget, which will be handed down in the next couple of months, but I don't know. I really don't know. I wish they would. (laughs) I really wish they would. But I think they're too addicted to, uh, you know, the 45 to 55 cents out of every, uh, you know, dollar or whatever they charge. It's crazy. Meanwhile, if you're looking to avoid the skyrocketing fuel prices by taking Uber rides... Apparently, you will be forced to pay a petrol surcharge as the federal government faces growing pressure, as I mentioned, to drive down costs at the Bowser. Passengers will pay an extra 50 cents on average as the rideshare app rolls out the surcharge to help its drivers offset the burden of higher petrol prices for at least the next two months. Between costly Uber rides and average Aussie petrol prices at $2.10 a litre, The New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet joined calls for the federal government to lower its fuel tax to put downward pressure on ballooning fuel bills. He said yesterday he'd welcome any move by the Commonwealth to reduce excise. Obviously, with fuel prices increasing, the tax increases off the back of it, so that penalises people right across, well, not only New South Wales, but right across the country. Cost of living and family budgets is a real issue right now. His plea for relief came as Prime Minister Scott Morrison signalled a potential solution in the upcoming federal budget, as I said. Now, ScoMo told reporters over the weekend the government was looking at releasing fuel reserves and pointed to the March 29 budget when asked about a reduction in the excise. But peak motoring body NRMA argued that reducing Australia's fuel excise would put funding for road repairs under major pressure. Well, maybe it will, but come on. People aren't going to be... If the the prices continue to skyrocket, there'll be many of people who will not be able... It's only a temporary measure, surely, as well. A reduction in the fuel excise. I'm, I'm not a fan sometimes of some of the rubbish the NRMA come out with. Spokesman Peter Curry says excise money was given to states and councils for repair work and councils were already facing a substantial backlog following the floods. He said the purpose of excise is to tax motorists at the Bowser through the service station. That money is raised to go back into the road network for fixing the roads. This year with the floods that's occurred across eastern, uh, the eastern seaboard, a lot of councils have a huge workload on their hands and there's already a backlog of funding for this. Yeah, but, you know, it's easy for the head of the NRMA, who's probably on an extremely good wicket, this Peter Curry, to suggest that. Anyway, he added surging petrol prices could fuel a rapid uptake of electric cars as Australians shifted away from oil coming from the most volatile parts of the world. 
Well, maybe he's right on this point. This has highlighted to many Australians the benefits of being able to drive a car that is charged by electricity made here at home. The problem is they cost too much. Electric Vehicle Council Chief Executive uh, Behard Jafari, who I've spoken to before on the program, said demand for electric cars was growing around the world, but Australia remains low on supply. Well, it's because they're so damn expensive and we don't make them here and we should. Anyway, he said the government needed to promptly introduce fuel efficiency standards to encourage car manufacturers to bring more electric vehicles to our store, our shore. Well, yes, he's right. Um, but I don't know. I think the average Australian family, or maybe they, maybe they are better off trying out an EV. Let me know your thoughts on that. Um, should the fuel excise be halved? Or should there be some relief in the budget? Something does need to, to happen. I understand, uh, you know, why the NRMA might be a little concerned because there'll be less funding available to fix potholes and all the rest of it, but it would only be a short-term temporary solution, um, a, a reprieve. Because if the petrol prices continue to head north, fewer people will be on the roads in any case. It'll put Then it'll put extra pressure on public transport and all the rest of it. Let me know your thoughts. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au and, of course, you can comment on the post on the Prawncast. Nice to have your company on this Tuesday morning. All right, welcome back. Uh, I've got that story on an increase in welfare, millions to benefit from a rise in welfare. Uh, those details in just a moment or two. Right now, though, um, thank you to our sponsors of the program. We're starting to get a bit more interest now, which is wonderful news, but we've been telling you about Rick and the wonderful team from Fox Safety Consulting for the last week and a bit. Workplace Health and Safety, WHS or OHS, depending on where you are, which state or territory. We know it's a requirement for every trading business in the country. There's no getting around it. That's why your business, no matter how big or how small, needs Fox Safety Consulting. Workplace health and safety or occupational health and safety can be confusing and at times frustrating to know what to do and exactly how to do it. Now, that's why I reckon your business, no matter how big or how small, needs the team from Fox Safety Consulting. At Fox Safety Consulting, Rick and his team will take the time to get to know your business. They'll understand how it operates so they can provide the very best in safety for your workplace. They'll design customised, practical solutions to fit your needs and they'll make sure your business remains compliant. But equally as important, of course, they'll keep your workers safe. Fox Safety Consulting's national network of consultants are now ready to support your safety journey. Already building a strong reputation, Fox Safety Consulting is currently working with micro-businesses along with governments right across the country. Get in touch today to see how they can help you and your business. Now, to make an inquiry, go to foxsafety.com.au. Got it? foxsafety.com.au and choose Fox Safety Consulting to support your safety journey. If you would like to be a sponsor on the program, not only will you feature on the uh, live broadcast, also the podcast, but we'll share your social media as well. All you need to do is send me an email. The rates are pretty good. Yeah, they are. You get 10 live reads for only 350 bucks. It's not bad. Quite, uh, not bad. Uh, and, of course, the Facebook page, uh, that gives you great reach. We're still reaching, on average, every 28 days, close to a million people on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Facebook page. And you get posts on it as well. So send me your email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Welcome back. Tuesday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning, live on Starter FM, of course, and on the iHeart and... Tune in radio apps. Now, I'm very excited about my uh, my next segment. It's time to introduce somebody who'll be a part of the program each and every week. We're going to do a bit of collab with the wonderful team from True Crime News Weekly. 
These are the guys that broke a number of stories the mainstream were too afraid to touch. The Bruce Lerman story in relation to the alleged sexual assault inside a minister's office at Parliament House in Canberra. Amongst other stories, Sir Khan Ozturk is the main, main man behind all of it. Sir Khan, good morning to you. Marcus, good morning. It's a pleasure to be on the Prawncast for the first time ever. Really excited. Well, not only the Prawncast, but, but uh, of course, we are live right around, I don't know, everywhere, the globe. On starterfm.com.au and and all those wonderful radio apps as well. Tell me about True Crime News Weekly. So we started about five years ago, Marcus, um, plugging away. Um, The website got pretty popular pretty quickly after a few uh, stories regarding my former high school gym teacher who was Australia's biggest cocaine dealer. Real life Breaking Bad, Marcus. Real life Breaking Bad badly as well. Um, yeah. So we're trying to make it, I'm actually in the middle of making a, a documentary or TV sh- show about that all, but that mm-hmm. was kind of the first big hit um, in 2017 when we launched it, but then about six months later we did break the uh, Barnaby Joyce story when, as you said, uh, the mainstream media were too afraid to touch it, weren't actually even playing cover for Barnaby, weren't they? Uh, Remind us of that story. So that was uh, the Barnaby Joyce scandal, you know, the uh, Vicky Campion, yeah. uh, where he was uh, he was um, with a media advisor, and mm-hmm. the press, uh, the major major press claimed that it was all lies, it wasn't happening, and this was just before the by election in two thousand seventeen, and uh, in around Octoberish, uh, late two thousand seventeen, and we broke the story in October two thousand seventeen, and then obviously six months later, News Limited and, and the like uh, uh, wrote the story and pretended to break it as an exclusive despite half of Australia already knowing what was going on thanks to True Crime News Weekly. All right. Uh, well, I love hearing um, things that you don't ordinarily hear on mainstream media, whether it's in the uh, News Corp papers, the Nine papers, or on, you know, uh, GB or wherever, and you've got some doozies that you're working on at the moment, and one's about to drop today in relation to the former New South Wales Premier, new Optus employee Gladys Berejiklian. Yes, uh, Gladys, she's been under the radar since she was announced as uh, this new exec position, which Optus made up specifically for her. It wasn't a job that existed. Um, and she's. Uh, there's been a lot of question marks raised about this, but obviously you won't hear or see this a lot in the, in the major press. But we've had a look at Optus's own uh, code of ethics, which are published online and accessible to uh, anybody out there who's interested. Mm. And Optus, who are owned by the Singapore government, Singtel is a company, but it's owned by Singapore government, Optus. Um, they... They have obviously a code of ethics and whatnot, like most major companies. And in their code of ethics, it's quite interesting. They suggest that they will not have anything to do with any supplier who may be um, linked to corruption. So instead of a supplier, should we be saying? Should we say alleged corruption? Uh, Well, I'm talking about Optus's code of ethics, corruption, not alleged corruption. So I'll bring it back to Gladys. Um, And so they would argue that Gladys hasn't been found corrupt but as a supplier they would never hire you say Marcus you went to Optus and offered them a, a service they would never hire you if there was a credible whiff of corruption around you and oh just a whiff and I would argue I would argue Marcus that the ICAC looking into someone's affairs quite seriously over a number of months is more than a whiff of alleged corruption very true. So yes, effectively, uh, by employing the former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian, uh, they're essentially going against what their code of ethics says. They're going against their own guidelines. So they're making a um, decision which they would never, ever make if it was almost anybody else. Mm. Um, so you have to ask questions now. Why has Optus decided at this moment in time to hire Gladys Berejiklian, despite all the controversy around her, and we have uh, sources, uh, former former and current uh, Optus employees, some senior, who say that this has been a bit of a, a game of mates in operation for the last uh, six months or so, where uh, some senior Optus execs have been trying to get uh, Gladys, no matter what, on board. Um, and that's because there's questions. I guess the issue here is perhaps influence making and um, deals, and they may think they, they could use Gladys's links with the Liberal Party before, I guess, um, the federal election and the state election to maybe mm. uh, 
buffer up some nice deals for Optus. So it's yeah. it's an interesting. One. And Marcus, I was we did our job as journalists. We went to Optus and asked them for a response to all this. We said, how can you def- can you provide a comment or defend yourselves on this uh, regard here, giving a job when your code of ethics suggests you know most other people would never go near. Uh, be offered a job like this if yeah. you're under similar investigation and Optus, guess what Optus said? Tell me. Absolutely zilch. <laughs> Nothing. No no comment. No comment. Not even yeah. a no comment comment. They just did not respond. Okay. And so we, we, we have this on True Crime News Weekly out today so everyone can have a read and make their own mind and we've also heard from a few um, Customers, many customers aren't happy. Many are leaving at the end of their contract. Many others want to leave, but the things like the English Premier League are keeping in there just a soccer mm. focus. Yeah, okay. Otherwise, otherwise, the Gladys news has made them very upset. So we, we, we quite a few of those people too. And I guess it's just maybe timely to put it back out there on the news agenda, what's going on with Optus and Gladys. We we will have another ICAC hearing coming up soon, I suspect. Yes. Uh, also, Marcus, relatively, this is a bit of a... Um, we're not allowed to talk about too much because there are suppression orders, so we can't name individuals. But uh, Gladys Berejiklian's, uh, one of her star media, former media advisors, uh, was in court over the last two weeks with a continuing trial for alleged child rape, the rape of two young children under the age of 10. Uh, we broke that story along with friendly Geordies yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's a bit more of pressure for uh, related to Gladys and her tenure as Premier. So a lot of a lot of issues for Gladys. So she's not right into the background quite yet. Um, and so we might see a few of these pop up um, over the next few weeks and months in the mainstream as well. Tell me about this story you've got coming up in relation to Channel 10, an employee there. Yes, we just heard last week on Monday in one of the local inner city courts here, uh, Channel 10 employee um, who was uh, found guilty of domestic uh, violence. Uh, interestingly, it wasn't the first time that he's been uh, charged with such crimes and an ABO was also taken out by him by another ex-girlfriend. Sure. Uh, we contacted Channel 10 um, this week about all this and uh, we'll be publishing a story uh, very soon later this week about all the matters. Um, we, we can reveal some Is this staff a, a well-known on-air no, personality? He, or He's not a, a not well-known personality, no. Okay. We, we're not doing we, If he was, we'd be leading with that. But uh, no, this is sure. more about the, 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 the incident happened. The court case was more... It's more about the judge here, um, Marcus, rather than the, the perpetrator. Right. Uh, the judge, uh, and, and I guess the perpetrator, perpetrator's privileged background because the judge seemingly uh, suggested during their remarks during the judgment that um, this person would um, not harm a woman and was it was seemingly out of character for uh, for him being in front of uh, the court okay. but we, we know for a fact that this is the second time that uh, these incidents have happened with, regarding different women so for the judge to say something like that was absolutely ludicrous we'll be uh, having you know we'll be putting our point on this because it was just this happened just after international women's day um, around and just around the time of International Women's Day last week, so it's just bizarre how the courts still don't take domestic violence seriously, Marcus. All right, mate. What else you got coming up, Sir Khan, um, in true crime news weekly this week? Mate, it's a full-on mixed bag. Like uh, we, we're going from we're going from like looking at greyhounds and uh, dodgy alleged dodgy movements of greyhounds from Australia to China. There's a big investigation our wonderful journalist Matilda Duncan has has produced, and we'll have that very soon as well. Right. We also have we also have a, a cold case investigation where the suspect may be Ivan Malat, and so we'll be breaking that story. <laughs> As well, that's an uh, unsolved murder in Sydney from the 1970s. Yeah, and we've got a possible, we've got a couple sports-related uh, stories too. Looking at some stuff um, related to over in Britain and the UK with the English Premier League. There's a, a footballer who won't be named by the um, UK media. He's been uh, arrested, but not yet charged for child sexual abuse, and that got that happened a few months ago. But since then, there's been a, a murder, a silence. Uh, like a mafia science on this issue, oh. and we'll be di- we'll be discussing okay. how this open secret of this player has mm. actually affected his club to such a level that his club may get relegated from the Premier League. 
Wow. Um, so we'll be, we'll be breaking that again. UK media censored from talking about that, but obviously we're not UK media. We're True Crime News Weekly. And just to wrap it up as well, we'll have another uh, sports story. This time, the big Scottish football club, Celtic FC, they're visiting Australia to play, play Rangers in a big uh, friendly tournament uh, later this year, uh, early next year for next season. Sure. And but they've been, both clubs, especially Celtic, have been under a child sexual abuse cloud dating back decades. There's been big movements now for um, a compensation to be paid, a government inquiry in Scotland to take place. But as we know with these things, uh, the football club Celtic is almost like a church. We know what happened with the church and sexual abuse, a lot of cover up. And so we've got, we're in a similar situation. And now a lot of uh, Celtic, some Celtic supporters and some Rangers supporters. Uh, and, and just general football supporters are a bit um, upset that Celtic are coming to Australia without facing up to the, uh, the allegations circling the club. And this is, uh, we're talking about an organised pedophile which was at Celtic for about 20 years. Wow. And so, the, the, and, and Ange Postacoglu, the Australian manager, obviously he's a boss at Celtic on the football side. So mm. maybe we can, and we know Ange is a, is a wise man, passionate man with a, uh, uh, very, very strong morals. He was recently coming out uh, in support of the refugees. So maybe one day soon, Ange Postacoglu, a Celtic manager, can come out in support for all the victims of child sexual abuse, sexual abuse particularly the victims of Celtic FC. All right, mate. Um, how do people get involved? How can uh, we uh, view these stories? Where do we need to go to? And uh, you, you, if you want to subscribe, you get all the uh, the juicy details at uh, True Crime News Weekly. Yes, truecrimenewsweekly.com is the best place to find us. We also have a podcast, Renegade Radio, that's on Spotify, uh, Google and Apple. We'll be firing that up again in the next week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be doing, as, as Marcus said at the beginning of the uh, segment, I will be here every week joining Prawny to discuss some of, not just True Crime News Weekly's uh, stories, but I guess some of the biggest stories that are making the rounds, and we'll give our spin on a few things. But look, generally speaking, Marcus, things are going really well here. We've Good. got a bunch of new interns and contributors. The website will be firing up uh, very consistently from this month onwards. Uh, and so we've just, and we, I've talked to you off air as well, we've got some massive stories coming up in the next month or two, like some which should create a huge, huge shocks, huge shocks, Marcus. And so uh, we'll be discussing those. You'll be, we'll be discussing it first with you, mate. You'll be having all the exclusives um, of, of these stories, and we really appreciate uh, you letting us be a part of your show, mate. Well, I look forward to it. Um, I can't wait for this story on Gladys Berejiklian and an Optus to drop today. Uh, should be up soon. Sir Khan Ozturk, great to talk to you. We will catch up again next week. Thank you, Marcus. Till then. All right, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, I've been talking at length in the last, uh, well, couple of weeks about cost of living increases. This may help. Millions are set to benefit from a rise in welfare payments. Uh, the age pension, single parent payment and a few others are set to rise and rise quite significantly in relation to uh, records, uh, I think some of the highest increases for quite some time. Look, the age pension and other social security benefits will next week deliver more than 5 million of us, our largest pay rise in almost a decade. From the 20th of March, the rate for a single person receiving the age pension, disability support pension or carer payment will rise by $20.10 a fortnight to $987.60. Okay? while a couple will see a rise of $30.20 to $1,488.80 a fortnight. Social Services Minister Ann Rustin said the 2.1% increase in payments was the largest increase since 2013 and is expected to cost the government. Well, it won't cost the government anything, Ann. You don't have any money. It's our money. It will cost Australian taxpayers an extra $2.2 billion a year. But the current surge in inflation, driven largely, as we know, by fuel prices skyrocketing above $2 a litre, means the rise may not cover higher costs for many, including pensioners. Other retirees are being urged to check out if they may qualify for a part pension. 
Now, the minister, Anne Ruston, conceded that cost of living pressures are real and noted the government had driven down costs such as electricity to their lowest levels in eight years. They use a specific calculation to increase pensions that takes into account the actual expenses of senior Australians. It gives a higher weighting to fuel and transport costs in recognition of their significance to pensioners, which helps ensure the rate of the age pension maintains senior Australians' purchasing power in the economy. Well, there might be many pensioners who disagree with that. Anyway, other government benefit increases from next week, from March the 20th, Include the job seeker payment that'll rise by $13.20 to $629.50 per fortnight. That's for a single person without children. The parenting payment single that'll increase by $18.10 to $874.10. Fortnightly maximum rent assistance will also increase to $145.80 for singles and up to $193.62 for families. But some economists say that, well, recent increases in food, fuel and other everyday items meant a 2.1% increase will be eaten away by inflation. What do you make of it? Let me know. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au Okay, thank you for your company on this Tuesday. Um, It was wonderful to have your company. We'll be back tomorrow live on starterfm.com.au and, of course, the iHeart and TuneIn Radio apps. Make sure you listen to us live if you can't catch the broadcast. The Prawncast is there for you uh, later on in the day, of course, uh, at Marcus Paul in the morning and Starter FM on Facebook. Have a wonderful day. We look forward to your company again tomorrow. Prawny out. Bye now. You know how Murdoch's new stance is that acting on climate change will make Australia the Saudi Arabia of the 21st century? Hopefully that means our leaders will take more photos like this in the future. I love you. Problem is, we already knew climate action would make us rich last election where Murdoch was saying it was going to cost us, shock horror, $60 billion. That's about this much of the debt the Liberals got us in, as illustrated by this former Liberal. Well, they should stop adding to the pile, because I've added enough!